guess we'll get started. It is time. Uh, welcome to the Wood Air Metal Podcast. Yeah. Welcome. We have a special guest today. It's our first interview. First um, interview. First victim. We saved the first for first. And, uh, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about our guest. So, uh, present to you the wonderful and sophisticated and funny Brandon Coleman, who Brandon is on the rise in demand as a performer in the world of creative guitar playing and music. Uh, Brandon is based out of Cincinnati, Ohio at this point in his life, performs and composes in a large variety of inspired music called intricate or cinematic, personal with a touch of his idols and roots from the Appalachian Mountain Territory. Got that from your bio. Nice. Coleman, uh, I'm going to call him Coleman, which I've never actually called him that before, uh, regularly performs on records with his own groups like Fourth Kind and Brandon Coleman Trio, Fusion Powerhouse, Spherical Agenda, they hate the Flat Earthers, obviously, uh, <laughs> renowned saxophonist Randy Villers he's played with, Sam Blakesley's Quintet, and Large Ensembles, and actually there's a new record we'll have to ask you about, just came out. Yeah, we will be uh, trying. Pl plays with uh, Grammy-nominated Dan is it Peugeot? Pujak? I never know. Pugach. 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 Yeah. Nantet and jam rock band Miller. He didn't write, uh, I noticed here, uh, Noah Preminger, which I've seen you play with a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great sax, play, sax player. Uh, Brandon has played all over the world, including notable jazz venues like Smalls, 55 Bar, Bar Next Door, Bop Stop, had the Cleveland Plug, Club oh, Modified, yeah. and many more. Plus festivals in new york city ecuador and many more brandon is an inspiring modern guitarist um navigating today's latest landscapes of social media multi-venture multi-style mastery i'm giving you some extra verbiage here oh man along with all that brandon has been instrumental in growing musical venues like the golden mean um and doing a he has a collaborative recording studio i'm not sure if that's called the golden mean now i meant to look it is up. yeah it's still so the golden mean a, <laughs> uh and uh, in the greater Cincy area, including recording and producing artists from all over the place. Um, let's not forget to mention Brandon is an incredible guitarist and musician. Um, yeah, monster I'm, ears. I'm told by Brandon, a world-class reader and seemingly <laughs> boundless by any conventions. Uh, we're glad to present to you the one and only Brandon Scott Coleman. It's an honor, fellas. Thanks so much for having me. You got to get an applause track going yeah. at that particular point. <laughs> That's right. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> What's happening, man? Man, just another day in, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic paradise. <laughs> <laughs> post-apocalyptic musician paradise. It's even exactly. stranger. <laughs> what do you yeah, contribute exactly. to a post-apocalyptic landscape as a musician? Oh, man. I just like to imagine, like, if we were in some hellscape like it would just be like the worst only the worst of gigs like i haven't played a gig in so long so i don't even know what that feels like anymore but <laughs> uh like just like roaming around scavenging for like rat carcasses and then just playing horrible background gigs <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i wonder when the rat carcass thing starts i'm ready for I it I think next week, I think they, they said that's when they were going to roll that out. So uh, you, grew, you grew up in Kentucky. I grew up in West Virginia. So I think we're set. We're Yeah. I mean, we've had we were, squirrel. We were born right? for it. <laughs> we've had squirrel squirrel gravy and uh, all that stuff. 
<laughs> I'm just from Buffalo, so I just sit there and get bitter about sports teams and uh, eat chicken wings. Yeah, you got wings, so yeah, anything. Yeah, gut strings will make a comeback. You know, from all the rat carcasses. It's, yeah, it's gut yeah. strings. It's a, it's a it, that. There's a plus. There's a yeah. plus. So cool. It's a huge plus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're off to a uh, good start yeah we are off to a good start. we got some rat gut post-apocalyptic strings uh and uh we'll just move on from there and yeah. on that note how did you get started playing guitar oh man yeah that's a good question so being a kentucky boy um you know my family is all based around there a lot of them still are and a big part of the culture and and like like a lot of America is a lot of people played guitar, banjo, fiddle, uh, much people sang. So it was a super like family involved thing for me and my family. So there was always guitars around at every family gathering and my grandpa played, my mom played, all my uncles and aunts and everybody did something musical, even though even if they didn't consider themselves a musician, they still did it. Um, so, you know, I took a, a liking to it. Pretty young. Whenever I saw a guitar, I would go up and strum it, you know. Or my grandpa would play a chord and let me, you know, go play it with my finger or whatever. So my parents got me my first uh, Stratocaster when I was 11. Um, and that was the Squire Strat Pack. Of, I think most of us probably started that way. <laughs> the... Um, were, were there I just want to make sure. Are you guys that? getting a dozen? Yeah, yeah a we are. It is, it's, it's doing a weird thing. Let me see if I can fix that real quick. A little buffer. There we go. That should be better. Oh, man. Sounds good. All yeah. right. Sick. So, yeah. Um, what, now, what were you saying there before saying, the uh, audio? So, you mentioned the Squire. So, was you... Were there guitars and stuff around the house? Was there musical instruments around? Yeah, my my mom, since she played, she had this like little Yamaha classical guitar, like a seventies Japanese Yamaha that I still have back home of hers, and um, so that was always around. And she'd be playing songs, and um, I was at my grandparents a lot. My grandpa had a ton of guitars. He had some Gretches and an Ovation classical, nice. and a couple flat tops and things like that. Um. But yeah, I got my Squire when I was 11, and it just started from there. Um, family would show me chords and songs, and and I just fell in love with it. I couldn't stop playing. It was like literally an obsession where I'd get home from school and just play until I fell asleep. <laughs> sure. Sounds familiar. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Could be the interwebs. We'll just roll, roll this way. That's probably perfectly fine, right? So far, yeah, so good. Yeah. There's some uh, right. static, but it's better than it was for sure. So. Sick. I just, yeah. I'm just rolling with the built-in mic on the camera now. I think the computer was having a hard time keeping up with this guy. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Right. Must have been a Mac. So. Uh, yeah, hey. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, as we were saying before the gremlins invaded the audio realm, uh, yeah, the, the guitars were around, you know, there's all kinds of folk tunes and stuff. My grandpa would show me like 
Doc Watson and Chet Atkins tunes. And that's cool. My mom played those tunes too. Cause he taught her when she was young. So there was just like kind of a collection of material that, that was kind of the whole family knew like all these Chet Atkins things like windy and warm and like the old Doc Watson. It's like a folk tune, but Doc Watson made it famous that Shady Grove, which, which we'll talk about it later, but I reimagined that and arranged it for Sam's new record. That's going to be really cool. Oh, cool. Sweet. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, I mean, it just jumped off from there and, you know, it's around the time it's about that time when internet was like becoming more prevalent in the home, uh, and things like Napster were around and for better or worse. But for me, it was nice because growing up in such a rural area, there wasn't a lot of access to like outside things that weren't like you know, just normal radio stuff, you know? And uh, one of my dad's friends who lived in Louisville, like her, I started playing guitar and like gave my dad a a tribal tech CD and was like, give this to your son, please. How old were you then? (laughs) I was probably like 12. Holy crap. And, And it just blew me away. I was just like, holy shit, this is incredible. Cause it's like, you know, Scott Henderson, who's, one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Yeah. But I was like, this guy sounds like Jimi Hendrix, but like on acid or something. It's like, it's like crazy. It's just like all the, in all the chords and the harmony and it just blew me away. So it just started me down this rabbit hole. Just, I got hungry for whatever music I could find. By the time I was like 14, I was like listening to some of the weirdest music a 14 year old should be listening to. Like, I I listened to like the complete Zappa discography, but I'd like gone into like the Harry Parch <laughs> rabbit hole and like <laughs> you know, it was it didn't yield like popularity or anything that's for sure like being a kid <laughs> like the MP3 player and listening to like uh, some like uh, Fred Frith or some you know <laughs> like some real out stuff, <laughs> but it just. I just fell so, in love with, so were you, with possibilities. Uh, were you trying to get bands or anything going, or were, was anyone playing, or was it mostly just? There were, you know, it was mostly at home, like playing with family, and like some of my friends played. Like some of my good buddies also played guitar. Um, there wasn't anybody that was like super, super, like as into it as I was, like to the degree of like yeah. wanting to get really, really, really good at it. It was kind of the the, a bunch of guys wanting to play some riffs and stuff and and that's super fun too so we we would have jams and stuff with with buddies but they, we i had like a garage band with some friends but it was like for three weeks and it just wasn't very good <laughs> and i think we all can admit that but i still have recordings of it too but it was i mean it was super fun and yeah i mean just the feeling of playing with people was something that i got hooked on too but I also knew that it's like man this would be really fun if like if it was some, with some people who were like as into it as I am, because <laughs> yeah, I was just like way into it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that, that passion, I mean, it's still there, but it, I just thinking about it and reflecting on it. It's just, uh, I think that, that that time period was a very fertile time. And I mentioned the internet, you know, being a thing and, the fact that I had to wait all night to download like one song, <laughs> like it still had that sense of like discovery that like, I imagine that like when you got a vinyl record back in the seventies or something, 
where you're like, I don't even know what this sounds like until I get it home. But it's got a cool album cover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like at least with slow internet, I had that a similar experience of like, oh, Frank Zappa, a uh, black page. I've heard about this in magazines, but I have no idea what it sounds like. And then like I stay up all night waiting. And then it's just like the payoff of hearing it. Um, you, like you, ha- you still had to do like a, a good amount of research. I feel like back in the late nineties and early two thousands, yeah, that's like where that early it? internet, you'd kind of follow breadcrumbs, right? Like, yep. yeah, a little thing, and then oh, you'd find some forum, or then that forum would send you to some other forum, and then, yeah, yeah, like I remember the guitar oblique, right? The forums, and like we've both been members of that community for a while, and I remember finding that when I was maybe like fifteen or something like that. Sure, and it was just that led so many pathways of just madness yeah adam are you familiar with that probably not too much i think i've added you to the group a few times there was a guy um uh, mark worrell who's had many names over the years um, bofatron sophosaurus yeah, infinite ego um, yeah some of the different uh, monikers i guess but yeah i think that's probably how brandon and i knew about each other at least originally yeah yeah, I think uh, through those forums on Facebook, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, no, he just had, like, these ideas about how, like, guitar, like, extreme guitar or something like that, you know, like, all the more, like, really, like, how do you play, like, Buckethead or something like that stuff, and sort of get sucked into it. I always, I tell Mark, Mark, I'm like, man, I could have been so rich if I never read your stupid webpage. <laughs> <laughs> it's all his fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, you uh, you did the internet thing. So when when did you decide? So had you already decided like music was it? Like were you already there before college and all that stuff? And then how did you get? Like, did you have to convince your parents that you were gonna do music, or they already kind of know? Or like, how did how did the next couple steps go? It's kind of funny. Like, I didn't really have a reference point as to like what. A professional musician would even look like i think sure. i was just i had some extended family that were like successful musicians like in nashville and stuff but i never really got to meet them until i was older and like my frame of reference for what a musician looked like was either like a private teacher at a music store or like a band director or somebody who just plays on the weekends which are all totally valid things and are <laughs> necessary and good um but i didn't know that like it was even feasible to be like anything else other than those options because it just just wasn't around. Um, But I remember when I was deciding on college, I actually applied to school to become like a pre-law major Um, for whatever reason. I mean, my dad was a lawyer and, or he still is. And, uh, and I had, I had a knack for that kind of thing too. I didn't really love it, but it just seemed like, oh, that's the college thing. I should study something that'll make me money. <laughs> but then, like, I remember, like, get, like applying and choosing schools and then seeing on, on like, one of these papers, and I ended up going to Moorhead State for undergrad, that you could major in jazz guitar. And I didn't know that you could even, that was even a possibility. Like, I that had never entered my mind as something you could even major in. I thought... I thought if I majored in music, it would have to be like I had to start playing oboe or something, <laughs> you know. Like, so you yeah. didn't get like the MI and like 
Berkeley magazine things or any of that crap when you were? I, I did get the Berkeley magazines, and I had a slightly older older cousin that went to Berkeley for a semester, and he hated it. And like, oh, so I just like was I just kind of like yeah, yeah kind of like I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe that's not for me. But then like when I saw like I could major in like jazz guitar, but also like a smaller college and being a small town boy, like it wasn't super overwhelming. Yeah. So like literally like on the day like I registered for for class I just like changed my major to jazz guitar and then I had to like go last minute audition for the music program and all that stuff and that went fine because I had gotten into jazz at that point and taught myself some things in the back of the band room <laughs> you know like, <laughs> so it was, it was okay but really that was the moment where I was like that's like really the only thing that makes me super happy is like is working on music all the time. I mean, unless, you know, I also love weird computer things too. That could have been a possibility, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just decided there, it was kind of like a, like a reaction in a way, like, man, I really don't want to be in a law office all day. <laughs> I kind of hate that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I made that decision and never looked back. It's just, uh, everything from there, you know, I feel like the school part of my life is the most boring part though. Like yeah. it was, it was a great experience. Like I, I had wonderful teachers and classmates and I think the biggest thing I got out of it was all the wonderful relationships with people. Yeah. But then again, like sometimes I'm like thinking about myself as a musician, like what that means. And I'm like, eh, like, Oh, I'm a white guy that went to college. <laughs> like That's kind of like boring. <laughs> So I got to come up with my origin story. Like I was born in a radioactive pit filled with old deodorant really, elixir and a, a strings. <laughs> Kentucky, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think uh, that's pretty good there. That's, uh, <laughs> I didn't that's think they true. let that I over mean, the border. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to fake my birth certificate to be let into Ohio. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I mean. School was great too. I mean, it, it was interesting. Cause like even in Moorhead, I didn't really have a clear picture of what this would mean, you know, because Moorhead was a smaller town than the small town I grew up in. <laughs> like it was just like, in terms of town size, it was like a third of the size, but it being a college town, there was like an arts and culture scene around it in some degree. Like there were places to go play and, and places to go hear your friends play and, go drink coffee and listen to records at the weird, you know, local artsy coffee shop, that kind of thing. So, so once you got to college, then you, did you start playing gigs then more or? Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I started forming groups with some of my friends. Like we, one of the first things we did, like, like many other people was like form a fusion group that played Schofield tunes. You got to play those Schofield Modesky tunes, you know, all that stuff. And uh, we were called the Hard Quartet, great name. Uh, we played at this local Cajun spot, and we'd play all the parties like that our friends would have, you know. Nice. And that that was a cool feeling, just like playing live with other musicians that were serious mm -hmm. about it, but also just having a good time. Like I just I, I got hooked on that. It made me hooked on it even more, you know. And I started a rock band, like I was in a rock band, like an indie rock band called the Saturn Four or Saturn Five, 
uh, for a while. No, Saturn four. Sorry. I'm thinking about the actual rocket, but it's Saturn four. <laughs> the, uh, but that was cool. It's like kind of like a, you know, nineties kind of Marcy playground esque sounding band. And we did a lot of local tour, like touring, like long weekend kind of things like playing Lexington and Huntington, West Virginia and sleeping in vans and all that stuff. Nice. And that was really fun too. I mean, um, just that whole experience of like, you know, playing music and honestly, just the feeling of seeing people be happy and enjoy it was just like, oh, you can play some weird notes and people having a good time. Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a good deal <laughs> and occasionally get paid for it. <laughs> Used to. Yeah. <laughs> Used to. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Now we got to eat those rat carcasses. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least there's some out there. I remember yeah. my day when there wasn't any. <laughs> there's also strings from the rat carcasses, so that's a plus. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, the, most, exactly. the classical guitarists can't get off the strings. Come on, man. <laughs> They're gut. You know, that's like yeah. a an instrument for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. We're gonna string up our theorbos with it. <laughs> that's, that's the real shell picks. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah, man. <laughs> or both. The extended range of the lutes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, cool. So the college thing, now, was it, did you just go for an undergrad? Did you get, uh, did you go even deeper in the hole for the uh, graduate degree or did, is uh, that where it ended? I went deeper in the hole. I, I took a semester off uh, to just substitute teach mm -hmm. and save some money and, uh, you know, I, I got engaged to my wife uh, at like my senior year of college, and I kind of wanted to take some time to figure out what I wanted to do exactly. Because at that point, I thought about maybe going into grad school for composition, like for film scoring. Mm -hmm. And uh, I eventually came to the conclusion that I just shouldn't have anybody else teaching me how to write my own songs, <laughs> uh, which I don't know, maybe that was like, a moment of youthful ego, like, but I felt like I came out okay. So I think it was, I made the right decision. I decided to go for another performance degree, a master's in jazz guitar. And I moved to Louisville and, and went to University of Louisville and studied with, uh, so my, my guitar teacher in undergrad was Glenn Ginn, amazing guitarist. And then in, at Louisville was Craig Wagner, another amazing guitarist, both with totally different styles. And I think one of the, my favorite things about learning from both of them was they um, were both all about letting you find your own voice, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, you know, on top of, you know, making sure you're technically proficient and you can read and knowing some tunes, they were all about fostering, you know, your individualism. And uh, they are always encouraging, like when I wanted to play my own original material on a recital or something, they're always about it. And, and they would throw me gigs too. Like when they, when they had to sub out, they would call me for gigs, which I really appreciated. And there were a lot of gigs that I was just like, totally not good enough for, but playing the gig made me better. Like mm -hmm. Glenn, Glenn Ginn, he did a lot of organ trio things with Steve Snyder, who was teaching in Indiana now, amazing organist and Jason Tiemann, an amazing, amazing drummer who like is in New York now playing with everybody. And uh, yeah, he threw me a couple of those gigs and I was just like, yeah, I didn't know like how to actually sound like authentic with an organ trio because I just hadn't done it before. But 
you know, doing it and being like, well, I'm here. I got to figure it yeah, out. Didn't work. Yeah. Let me yeah. try that. Let me try that. It's, uh, and, and all those guys were so gracious and like, you know, they, they were doing the good mentor thing of like, not, not being dicks and they're just so fostering and, and like teaching me by example and, and being warm and open to things. And, um, and the same with Craig, like, he has long time gigs with this amazing vocalist in uh, Louisville named Carly Johnson. And Craig's thing is all like seven string, like playing bass lines and doing the whole, whole nine yards. And like him and Carly together, like when she, she's done singing, it's all Craig. And he threw me a couple of those gigs and like, when she's done singing, it's all me. And I'm like, Oh man, there's so much space to fill here. <laughs> and it's like a terrifying moment. So like those were such huge moments of growth from both of their, those teachers and, and several other teachers I had too on different instruments. And, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I, I look back on those experiences. Those, those were like really valuable things from my college teachers that existed outside of the college scenario that I was really grateful for on top of all the great lessons and stuff. But yeah, just getting to step into their shoes for a moment was like, Oh, I got a lot of room to grow here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought I was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Nope. <laughs> what the what was it the uh, uh, Jerry Springer meme where it's like it turns out that was a lie. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that was a lie. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so Brandy, you kind of mentioned. I'm going to backtrack a little. Like you were talking about like Zappa and the Black Page and. And like this weird music and stuff, but why jazz? Like when when did that become a thing for you? Yeah, I mean, for, like I was, you know, I'm a super nerd, like we all are. You know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think we're all nerds here. <laughs> I think everybody, I think the 15 people that have subscribed uh, all know we're nerds. And they're yeah. nerds too. Yeah, and they're probably nerds too. Hey, it's, it's I, not a derogatory thing anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, but I was, you know, I just I love research, man. Like I'm addicted. I've always been an addicted reader. Like I, I was, I just would read everything I could find. And um, you know, when I was reading all these guitar magazines and growing up and finding these artists that were on the fringe of normalcy, like it was almost always a common pathway to jazz, like where it came from, because of the spirit of improvisation the harmonic language, the rhythmic aspect, and the interplay. And part of the mystery of the music, you know, not growing up with people who knew that stuff or people around that could do that to a high level, um, that was the big mystery for me. Like, how does all this stuff happen? And and it made sense that jazz was the, the kind of nexus point where I needed to go where I needed to travel to, to find all this information. Mm-hmm. And on the way I discovered that in addition to loving Zappa and fusion, and I just love straight ahead jazz too. And all the, I love all the eras of jazz music. And, um, was there something in particular that grabbed you at first? I remember the first like jazz recording that just blew me away was that West Montgomery smoking at the half note. Oh yeah. And that was because it was before college. I, I did an Abersold camp. I did the, uh, I think I was maybe a 
freshman in high school or something. My parents sent me. And uh, the guitar teacher, Dave Stryker, who's awesome. Oh, yeah, he's great. Uh, he's killer. And, uh, you know, he he recommended that. He was like on a list that he'd given everybody, like, records you should have. And I, I just went down to the record store because they had a little record store set up there. And I was like, well, I got to buy that. And I remember putting it on. I was just like, man, this is sick. <laughs> it's crazy. And then I also bought uh, that same day. I bought Mahavishnu Birds of Fire too, oh, <laughs> which was also sick. Yeah. And it's just like two disparate styles of yeah. jazz. But um, but I just remember hearing that, and I was like, okay, this is what it means to like swing and play yeah. straight ahead, just arch top, badass guitar. And yeah, I mean, I think later on, like when I finally got to college, my aesthetic. My preferred aesthetic, I, I started listening to a lot of Matheny, and then, then I heard Bill Frisell for the first time. And, like, Bill somehow had this, like, sensibility that really had connected to me because there's, like, a sense of, like, country in his playing yeah. and folk elements and his, like, sense of economy of just, like, not really... He's, like, he's like a cubist or something. You know, he's, like, doesn't give you all the information. And... um that was really appealing to me. So for a long time, I just sound like a built for sale ripoff in college, just like little neck shakes. And I still do those from time to time, but sure. um, there's plenty worse people to copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's still, he's still my boy in many ways, but he, he was like somebody who took all that and then showed me how it can result in like a very unique voice if that makes sense like he kind of distilled all that information from the past like jim hall and and wes and and then like country guitar and you know isms and then distilled it into his own unique he's like a, he's like a carnival master of the guitar man like sometimes his music sounds like clown music and it's amazing <laughs> yeah the first time i yeah. heard him that i that i actually knew it was him was naked city <laughs> Oh, yeah. So like the, my journey with Bill has been like from there to everything else, which is really interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's so freaky, man. He's like navigates all that territory with such an like a uh, he's not like an imposing personality either. Yeah, really, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you would expect. Like when I I think when I first heard him on Naked City, like especially that tune where it's like Tennessee flat top box where it goes into like the death metal sections yeah, and uh, it like goes back and forth between the country and then the death metal. And I was like, this dude must be crazy. Like he must like look insane with like tattoos on his face <laughs> and like, and then I like, see him and he's just like a normal, like, Oh, hello. I'm Bill for sale. Like, right. Nice to meet you. You know, <laughs> It's <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Just incredible. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool.
so you, you finish up your, uh, I guess you could say, academic career in that regard. Did you have plans set out afterward? It's like, I'm going to do specific gigging or I'm going to look for a teaching thing. Like, what was your, uh, did you have anything planned for when you were done? No, I'm, I'm terrible at planning. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was kind of, I've always been inspired by the moment. Like, like for me, it's like, I had, like the fact that I was like, had no plan like was better than me having a plan in a way, because if I had a plan, I probably just been lazy and like not really followed through, but like not having a plan. I was just like, crap. Now I have to pay bills and eat and like provide for my family. And like, it's like, maybe that's like some weird hillbilly energy that I have. I don't know. But for me, for me, it's like, and not having a plan. Like I didn't have a plan where we were going to move or anything. I kind of had this pipe dream of moving to New York, which I think everybody at some point has because it's like yeah. the arts zone yeah. yeah and um but that like you know we moved to cincinnati because my wife did her master's degree here at ccm at the conservatory and uh i just went right into like for the first year i was just going back to louisville and gigging because that's where all my connections were and i didn't really know many people up here and I would go to jam sessions every now and then here in Cincinnati and finally ended up meeting, you know, the guys who were in my trio, Matt and Jeff, who've been my like longtime buddies and collaborators for like seven or eight years now. And that's how we met. And that got things kicked off in Cincinnati. But by the time she graduated and, and she was, you know, working and I was working and just didn't make any sense to leave. We liked it. And, um, like it, I was making a living doing the things that I kind of wanted to do. And um, then I looked at New York and I would travel to New York and I'd be like, you know what? This kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I, I like being able to reach out in my music room and like not hit the wall. <laughs> you know, like I like, uh, I like not having to walk over rat carcasses on my way to teach lessons and- anymore. Yeah. Anymore, yeah. <laughs> now I just stop and take a bite, you know. <laughs> you know it's clean and you know in Cincinnati. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, man. I mean, like I think just not having a plan kind of opened me up to the possibility that it could be anything, and I think. You know, just knowing, knowing other musicians older than me, I know they had to do many things to make it work. Like I knew, I knew that I'd have to teach. I knew that I'd have to be gigging. I knew that I had to be playing gigs I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. I knew that I'd have to do just a multitude of things in music to assemble, to cobble together a lifestyle. You know, so I didn't really set out like with um, plans to like get a doctorate, which I, I don't. I still don't think I will. Um, because I, I kind of wanted to get away from academia for a moment, honestly, just to kind of live outside of that world and and uh, and just experience what it's like to be an artist, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was the time. I you know, I know it's it's hard, but it was it was kind to me. Like I felt like it was just a good time. Like especially in Cincinnati, like I moved. I felt like I moved here just a good time to try to do that because there were like more venues, there are more musicians sticking around after their college experience here. So there's a lot of peers to get involved with and try new things. And 
um, that was just a good time, and it's still a good time. Um, you know, it's different now, but uh, yeah, I still, you know, COVID happened, and you know, I'm teaching. I, you know, we have plans for tours and all this stuff, and really just kind of having that attitude of of going with the flow, just following the direction of the wind. You know, it's like, well, I just got to teach a lot from home. And, and then like, I'm getting a chance to do other things that I love doing, like producing people's records or mixing. And I've been doing a lot of session work online, like recording guitar parts for various things and, um, doing music engraving and arranging for people. And just, oh, yeah. I love doing that stuff. I love doing that stuff, man. It's just, it's so fun. And, and it's, Did it's giving me a chance. Like you're doing it with ink. Oh well, I'm not doing a thing, but I refer to it as engraving because it sounds fancier than putting it putting it into Sibelius. Okay. Yeah, that's what it's well, called. I, I, I mean, there's plenty of people that still do that, though. Like I, you know. yeah, I mean, it's badass. Like I, my handwriting looks like a terrible like doctor's note. Like yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's not good. Sibelius <laughs> make it readable for everybody. So. I, I had transcribed uh, a Bobby Salvaggio thing once, and. Uh, and I kind of played it, or I shared it on Facebook or something. He's like, "Hey, can you send me that that transcription?" I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think you want to see that. Like, it just looks, <laughs> it just looks like blob, you know, on the papers." Yeah, yeah. So I, I hear you there. Yeah, man. And I'm like, I, I know I could put it in to finale, but yeah, yeah, down the road, just yeah. you can get it in eventually. <laughs> yeah, it was only like 15 years ago, so. We're, we're <laughs> Well, you know, that's pretty good considering your rate at releasing albums. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's about the rate for me at the moment. I had to take that shot, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I complain to Adam all the time about been working on this rec- one record for like eight, nine years. <laughs> and I was <laughs> going to release it like any time now, and then I got the master, and I wasn't really happy with it. And then I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna have to do the master, and I don't know. It's just it's just marinating, marinating, man. It's gonna have a great flavor when it finally comes out. <laughs> sure. I've had a I've had a couple records that I've been sitting on for like two years myself, like, and I'm like, one of them is a, a fourth kind record that I think we might have talked about when I came up with Matt. Like we're um, we're just gonna redo a few things on it that you know after we listen back we're like, we think we can do this better now. <laughs> than we did when we played it the first time or we can get better tones or, and it's like such a thing where it's like low priority to put out in, in, in that range of everything else that I got going on. It's just like, this can wait as long as it needs to, to be as good as I want it to be. Right. Because I feel like certain forms of music lend themselves to that. Like if it's like a jazz record where we're playing tunes and it's in the moment, it's a picture of that time then sure, I'm like, I'll put it out. Like the other day, I put out a tune the next day after we recorded it. Like we went down to the studio and I was like, mix it that night and put it out the next day because it's in the moment. But like this fourth kind stuff, it's like a rock record where I kind of want the production to just be on point and all the parts to be on point. See? Yeah. That's on eight years. You go through these different phases. So you, you do the like right when it was eight years ago i record a bunch of stuff and then you're like yeah i'm gonna i'm not quite finished and then a couple years later you're like well that wasn't good enough and then you redo all that 
Now, listen, I, I'm picking and I am the same culprit. It's like I've re-recorded my classical album three different times. So same material, just, just I think, oh, I got better. So I got to go back and redo that. Yeah, there's that, that whole thing too. That, that's the big mind job with me. You know, it's like, oh, I, I can do that a lot better now. Or I like my tone better. Or I like this new mic position that I came up with the other day or whatever. So run the whole program again and then sit there and start the editing process. And it's... Uh, yeah, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, I just got to get it freaking done, like done, done, and it, put it out there and not care anymore. But uh, I think, I think part of it, I think we're all maybe wired to this degree. It's like, we have the demands on ourselves musically that we're always striving to meet. Like, regardless of what we're doing, we're always pushing our boundaries and getting better. So when we revisit old things that aren't public yet we're like oh i could totally do a, be a better job with this so we go taking it apart and putting it all into its thing and it's like oh well uh well no i'm gonna wait on that and then you kind of like cover it up and put it off to the side because something new and shiny kind of comes along but um i don't know i can't preach to how to get past that hurdle <laughs> so hopefully at some point we'll all i mean brandon clearly has at least some methodology to putting things out more than both of us combined so <laughs> Perhaps you could speak to that, uh, but uh, just in general, it's like I think that striving for consistent excellence can be a detrimental thing of actually putting something out because you're always your your own worst critic. So, for sure, I mean, I remember like like my first record I did with the quartet I have now, like the the record Infinite Loop that I put out in like 2015 or 2014. Like I decided to mix it myself. But which I do on most of my projects, I mix myself. But I was so like unhappy with my own performance on that record, which I still am. I'm like, I still hear it, and I'm like, oh god, I played that note. Why? But <laughs> I couldn't mix it because I was so focused on my performance. Like I couldn't listen to it any other way. So I ended up like, and I ended up sitting on it for too long and getting frustrated. So I just sent it off to like Amsterdam. I was like. Here's a guy I've liked his mixes before on something. And I was like, "You mix it." I was like, "I can't listen to my own playing anymore." But this just needs to be out so I can move on to another batch of music, you know. Yeah, that you can complain uh, about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Yeah. And 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 Tim as well. Outside of the work scenario, in other words, work uh, mastering and uh, mixing and everything else, do you listen to your own music? Sometimes. I would say sometimes. I do it to make sure I did a, I did a good job. <laughs> like Disconnecting from that. Like, oh, I, I, okay. Like, disconnecting from, like, the an analytical it's stuff. It's out in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't listen to it anymore after that, really. Yeah. Unless, like, there's, there's one track that I've gone back and listened to a lot that's not, actually not released yet, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of a meme amongst me and my boys because the mix is so good on it and the drums sound so fat it's on the fourth kind record that is yet to be released but th that one track is so good that we just like whenever we get together we're just like we got to put that on and listen to how because it's just like we're all like that came out of our hands that's <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's we're, like awesome. we're like that one's really sick but then we listen to the other ones we're like okay we sucked on that one but <laughs> but then there's one track and uh, yeah, that's that's worthy I of that. After it comes out, yeah, I don't know. 
after it comes out, maybe I'll be like, this is horrible. I never want to hear it again. <laughs> I was about to go to the same spot there, Tim. It's like, it's fine now until it gets out there. And then it's like, I never mind. I'm not touching that. Yeah. yeah it's, fun, it's funny how you can like, you can kind of dig something that you make, you know, sometimes it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah, happens. Yeah, hopefully you're making stuff that you like in general. Yeah. But then, yeah, like at some point it's like, you're not capable of liking it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's little things that I hear my stuff or whatever, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool, or you know, that's something. Wow, how did I do that, or where did that sound come from? But yeah, I'm kind of the same. I don't, I mostly can't stand listening to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's funny that you were talking about the mixing thing. Is like any project that I've been in, pretty much completely, that I didn't mix myself. Like, I, I'm like, man, they did such a bad job. <laughs> like, at least when I hear the guitar, I'm like, that's not the guitar sounds like, you know? Yeah. Um, so I struggle, like, letting go of control of it. Even, like, this master, I sent it off. It's probably a fine master. But I'm like, that's not the way I would have done it. So I'm, I'm very similar. Like, I, I have, like, really strong feelings about, like, the, the just the imaging and the... Right sound and the spectrum of everything and i have just this in my mind this picture of what everything should sound like that to me is like a unique sound that i want for my yeah, own right. stuff and like i've just had so many experiences where and it's really nobody's fault because it's like everybody's been perfectly good engineers and can do a great job but it's yeah, just like so so many experiences where it's just like oh this is jazz so let me just do my jazz thing on it and i'm gonna and it's like oh, well it's it's different though. Like, yeah. you know, we, we got to pay attention to the minute details instead of just saying, Oh, this is jazz. So I'm going to pan this over here and this over here and then we're done. <laughs> like, right. so it's, um, I just always, I always have like ideas. And, and to me, like for some tunes, I don't want to say like, I, I, I try not to overproduce things, but like, I, especially on some of my newer stuff that comes out, I, I like to have like a little bit of a hand in like, Oh, I might automate a little bit of more, like a delay in the roads or something just to, to give it some space. And cause some of my favorite records in, in the jazz and fusion world were like those seventies records, like the Herbie stuff where there's just so many spacey sounds and like, it's oh, just yeah. like you're float, you're floating in outer space. And like, I want to kind of get some of those moments, like um, the tune that I put out last year called the watchmaker and yeah, I think I remember that. Aqua- aquatic, I put out in a single called aquatic. I tried to get those vibes not like in a blatant like ripoff way, but just kind of give a blanket, like a bed of, of ambience underneath everything that kind of makes it feel like a band playing like on a, a holographic cloud in the future or something. Right. <laughs> I think it's perfectly acceptable to put um, production into a jazz record. Yeah. <laughs> like it's all right. Yeah. Wayne Shorter did it. Why can't we, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> So it's, it's great, man. I mean, I, you know, I, I just embrace all those sounds. So it's, to me, it's fun. And, and now, now having a studio of our own, it's just, it's fun to get to try things on other people's stuff too, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. What's so, maybe a gear question. So, so what's your main things you're going through these days? And, you know, like, I guess do you, and I see you switching guitars a lot and I know you're, I know you just like guitars. Cause, you know. Yeah, but, guitars uh, are sweet. <laughs> so do you say, 
pretty so fun. Do, do you have like different ones you think, okay, this is spherical agenda setup. Here's my fourth kind setup. Here's my this setup. Here's that setup. Do you have, and I guess what, what are those? You know, what are you? So let's say like my main axes right now, I have, my collection has grown to like 28 guitars at the moment, which I know some dudes that have an insane amount of guitars, but to me that feels like insane because this room isn't that big and I have to keep some. <laughs> I have to keep some of them over at the studio. There's like it's some over here. It's a retirement plan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have uh, a Mulan Strat that I really love. It's just beautiful. And it, I got it from a student of mine and a friend. And he bought it used in L.A. And it turns out it was like formerly owned by Jason Mraz. Like it was it was built by Mulan. And they presented it to Jason Mraz at the, at the South Korean Olympics and like he performed with it and it's like totally wild like i didn't know that i had the guitar for years and I, when i ordered my telly from mulan a couple months ago and i gave him the serial number like oh you have jason Raz's guitar and i was like well that's cool like, i mean you, you tell that to everyone don't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah they tell everybody oh we build all these for jason Raz. <laughs> but, yeah. but i really love that strat it's it's got a special thing about it I mean, it, like, you know, he makes them to be like as close as you can to like a vintage, like strat. And yeah. I, I feel like, and I got to play a 62 strat not too long ago. One of my friends has one and it's pretty dang close, you know? So pretty cool. The, um, I have a Cummins GCS, uh, the ebony board spruce top kind of semi hollow that I do for a lot of more kind of clean straight ahead kind of, jazz sounds and like kind of more contemporary like rose and winkley kind of things um, that's a wonderful guitar uh one of my good friends james gay is a luthier really skilled luthier he built me a guitar it's a kind of a prototype of something um here i can actually i can show you guys that one it's out let's see it it's out in the wild let's see here Let's get the earphones back in so I can hear you. But yeah. Oh yeah, I remember you shared that. Yeah, that thing looks great. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, man. It's uh, yeah. That's the that's the, his brand, Gayer. Uh, that's like his like his family's ancient name is like Gayer, G A Y I R or something like that. Um, but it's basically like a prototype because he's living in Singapore right now, working for a a big music company doing like all their like big repair jobs. And he prototyped this out and sent it to me to kind of review and uh, just to have and play. It's, it's wonderful. Cause when he moves back to the U S and uh, I think later this year, he's going to start building to order like for people. And that's like kind of going to be his main core model. That's cool. So, Very so cool. It's, it's really nice. It's, it's a, uh, I would put it right up there with Sirs and Tom yeah, Anderson and all that, that stuff. Like Tom Anderson, Sir yep. look, look to which it. I yep. love. That looks great. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, super. It's like uh, super light and super resonant. I think it's chambered and it's got like the nice, tall, skinny frets and just a breeze to play. So I've been using that one a lot with Spherical Agenda. On top of like I've got a couple of those '80s S series that yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, for I'm the neon vibes i told brandon <laughs> that you can basically can't find saber um yeah. s ibanez's for lefty like ever 
Nope. Yeah. So he, he did send me one. That was a couple months ago. Yeah, I found one like, oh, a while I, back. I'll, and... I'll see him sometimes. And <laughs> I think it was gone like in like minutes, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. The lefty market is is a challenging one. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna get what you want. You're gonna pay a lot. <laughs> That's just yeah. Fun. And you just have to get. There's a lot of like getting lucky. You know. Yeah. You never you never get to try anything. You just... Pretty much. I mean, that's what yeah. this was. This guy was a blind order from China, now, Australia, China-ish. So that looks sweet. I love it. It's great. I mean, I really wanted a Strandberg, really, really, really did. But I wanted an eight-string, and they never were going to do an eight-string run lefty. So I was looking around, and you know, Mainez and, and those brands were. And I'm like, I just can't justify spending that much money on an electric. Like another classical, sure, not a problem, but not on an electric that's uh, it's fun and I'll write with it, but it's not my workhorse. So yeah, uh, I found these guys, God, how the hell did I find them? I think just Google searching eight string left-handed and DOC guitars came up. And so I did some research and, you know, forum dived, YouTube dived and everything else. And nobody said anything bad about them, it, which was pretty good considering it was coming from China. Cause you, you just, you know, it's China. You don't know what you're going to get. Those cool yeah. guitars, that I was, we were both looking at, um, they had some pretty cool lefty ones. Literally the reviews were like, don't buy this guitar. <laughs> you know, they, they, nope, nada. And this is from like their artist represent, or uh, the, what's the, not signature models, but the uh, endorsees. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like I, I endorse, then they sent me a guitar and like the guy like held the neck and pushed and like bent the neck up type oh, of thing. Oh, wow. Like, That's a cool this, trick. Yeah, this yeah. is the third one I've gotten like this. And I'm like, woof, forget it. So this yeah. one, with all that, you know, for, I think it was 900 bucks for a fan fret. Wow. The pickups are killer. Like, I can't believe how good the thing sounds. And it's, you know, it's minimalist. It's just a volume, three-way switch, done. What's what's the brand called again? GOC. Okay. Um, that's the little insignia. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That thing right there. That's uh, cool. But they're on Facebook. You can check them out. Uh, they were really good to talk to, like because I kept uh, going back and forth with them. You know, it's just it's just like touching and coming back. Ah, I don't know. And then I finally decided to do it. You know, once they decided on the lefty run, I I, 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 I was talking with my wife. I'm like, do you mind if I just get one? She's like, if it'll shut you up about buying a left-handed eight-string, yes. And uh, she didn't really say that, but um, That's she's like, yeah, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, there was the undertones of that, you know. So it, uh, I just ordered it, and um, you know, it, that, that was right when COVID really hit. So it was. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see this thing because it's coming from China. God only knows what's going on. And for the yeah. long time, it was like fracked in the middle of somewhere China and just sat there. And though, and so we had like a vacation scheduled. At, we were renting a house somewhere. And so we left to go do that. And of course, as soon as we leave, that's when it shows up at my door. No, like, oh, wow. we'll hold it for three days. And I'm like, three days? It's supposed to be gone for a week. And luckily, unluckily, a hurricane hit where we were at and we couldn't go on vacation. So we had to turn around and come home. I grabbed the guitar, you know, and, and the rest is history. But I, I like it. I, I'm pretty impressed with the, the quality of the guitar, especially for the money. You know, uh, that's great. But this is not about me. So let's refocus because I got two burning questions i want to ask you 